This is episode 128. We welcome you to the ADHD Smarter Parenting Podcast. Here to heal and elevate lives is your parenting coach, Siope Kinikini. Hello, everyone. How are you? This is Siope, your host here at the ADHD Smarter Parenting Podcast. Welcome. Today, we're going to be talking about a very unique topic that has popped up quite a bit during conversations with other parents. We're going to talk about neurodiversity. And if you don't know what that is, I'm not completely surprised. But if you have heard what it is, then this should be a good refresher for you, because this is a terminology that I am hearing pop up over and over and over again as I communicate with parents and families. So neurodiversity, we're going to jump in and understand what it is, what this terminology means, especially for parents who have children who've been diagnosed with autism or ADHD or whatever it may be. The term neurodiversity has been popping up more and more frequently in the different conversations on how do we help children learn and move forward. So we're going to talk about neurodiversity during this podcast. Now, there are three things that I want you to walk away with during this podcast that will be helpful. So these are things that after this podcast, you should be able to implement in your families in order to help improve what is happening with you and your child. The first thing, we're going to cover neurodiversity. What is it? Where did it come from? And what does it mean? And where is it going in the future? Again, I've been hearing this term for years now, and it has been in the last few years that it has popped up even more. And now that I'm doing coaching online and communicating with parents, they tend to ask questions about neurodiversity. Now, the second thing is we're going to talk about what works in this approach to understanding how children learn. So what works? And then the third thing is I'm going to teach you a skill that you can use and implement. I'm going to share an example of a parent that we had a a group Zoom meeting and walk you through the whole process of implementing the skill of following instructions. It's a very simple skill. It's broken down into just four easy steps, and these four steps on repetition should help any child, regardless of where they are on their journey of learning. So let's get at it. There's a lot to discuss. So let's start off with neurodiversity. Now, during the past week, I joined a Zoom call where I was answering questions from different parents, and there was a mother on there who asked the question, are are you familiar with neurodiversity? And I said, yes, I am. And she was surprised because she was familiar with the term. She had done research and read books. However, when she met with her pediatrician, he didn't know what it was. And when she met with the school, only one counselor knew what it was, neurodiversity. And so I did an informal poll during the Zoom meeting and found out that a lot of the parents there did know what it was and they had heard the term but some were a little confused about what it meant. Now, how this relates to you as a parent is you will probably hear this terminology pop up more and more during the next couple of years. So I want you to be prepared for it. I want you to understand what it is and where it came from. The terminology was coined back in the late 1990s by a woman by the name of Judy Singer. She came up with this terminology. And Singer is a sociologist on the autism spectrum. 
And what she said, what she believed was that、uh, people who have autism are not disabled. They don't have learning disabilities. They simply learn differently. So neurodiversity is a concept that's been around for a long time, but basically this is what it is. It means that the brain differences are only brain differences in children who have ADHD or autism or any other abnormal behaviors from some of the children. They're just variations of how the human brain functions. So for kids with learning and thinking differences, the idea of neurodiversity has benefits because it can help kids and their parents frame the challenge as differences rather than deficits. Okay, can you see the the mind shift? So instead of saying my kid has ADHD, he's disabled in all these areas, this is a mind change. We're now approaching the issue as well. My child is just learning differently than most children their age, and so we just need to adapt what we're teaching our child in order to help our child progress. So we can frame our challenges as differences rather than deficits. As I was communicating with this mother during the Zoom call, it was interesting. We did a couple of informal surveys with the parents that were on the Zoom call. And how many of them felt crippled by the idea that their child had an ADHD diagnosis? And half of the parents felt like they were, and this again, this is informal. This is based off of about twenty parents who were on the call. About half of them felt like they were stifled by the diagnosis. That the diagnosis didn't bring them comfort; it actually brought them anxiety and concern about how to proceed. Then you had the other half who were like, "Yay, I have a diagnosis. I finally understand what's happening. Yay!" But then again, they were left with, "Okay, now what do we do?" And as I communicated with them, I simply wanted them to understand that when a diagnosis is made for a child who has ADHD or is diagnosed with anything else, what the clinician is doing is they're gathering the symptoms, putting them all together, and Classifying it into a category. When they do this, that gives us the, the diagnosis. They look for things that match, as far as symptomology or how a child is exhibiting or manifesting their behaviors. And they say, okay, so they meet this, 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 and this. So they belong under this umbrella. The difficulty for clinicians is that. Children and people are not that easy to classify. There are a lot of outliers in there, and there are a lot of people that have multiple things that are going on. And so, sometimes for a clinician, it can be difficult to classify them as one thing. They may classify them as another. So that's where the diagnosis comes from. I can understand the difficulty. Some parents have, and I can understand why parents struggle sometimes with the diagnoses. You know, you receive a diagnosis, and that's supposed to be an answer of some sort, and yet it just opens up more doors and more questions for a lot of parents. Now, neurodiversity is this idea that hey, your child has been diagnosed with these things, but let's focus on how the brain works. Let's focus on our teaching methods in order to help our children progress. During the conversation, during the Zoom call, the mother asked, "Hey, so you are telling us to use these skills that you use on smarter parenting, and in what way is that helpful for us?" And I 
helped her understand that the approach that we have in Smarter Parenting is really a diverse way of learning, both for parents and for children, because it incorporates a lot more than just lecture or written work. There is a lot of incorporating different senses and how the brain works in the skills that we use. So that brings me to my next point, which is what works. Now, what works are skills. Okay, so I could be working with a child who has autism. I could be working with a child who has ADHD. I could work with a child who has oppositional defiant disorder. I could work with a child in a lot of different areas. And yet the skills that I am teaching them, like following instructions, the steps will remain the same. It's this nuance in our approach in helping them grasp these concepts But the skills themselves have the same steps. We use the steps. We help them know exactly what the expectation is. We incorporate it into their brain through role-playing, through practicing, and then we praise them for it. We give them motivation for them to continue the behavior. So the skills that we teach on Smarter Parenting are inclusive to families who are approaching ADHD as a neurodiverse issue. If you have the mindset that, hey, my child just learns differently than other children, then learning the skills from smarter parenting will definitely be helpful for you because we incorporate how can we best teach children what they need to know in order to progress. So it's actually rather beautiful that in smarter parenting, we're using the skills of the teaching family model that have been custom-made in a way that people can consume it and use it consistently on their own or with a coach, or I'm here to help you along that whole process as well. We talked about neurodiversity. We've talked about what works, the skills. Now, with his mother, I wanted her to leave the Zoom call with a clear understanding of what it is that would be helpful for her. So we went with the skill of following instructions. She wanted her child to be able to follow her instructions. So we did some investigative work into her child, who is roughly around five years old, five, six years old, and doesn't follow through with what she's asked her child to do. So we talked about the diagnosis of ADHD. Is he distracted? After you give an instruction, is he in a mindset where he can consume that information and make it work? And after doing some exploration, we were able to come up with some very interesting insights in the way that we were going to approach it. Now, before I continue on with that, I need to take a break and I'll be right back. Do you need to take a parenting class? Do you need a certificate for that parenting class? Sign up for our online parenting class. Watch our lesson videos, complete quizzes, and download class assignments all from your home. Visit the Smarter Parenting website under the Coaching tab and sign up for the silver, gold, or platinum level to access the class. Welcome back. Okay, so let's talk about using the skill of following instructions with her child. Now, this is going to be coupled with role-playing, but let's focus on following instructions first, and then I will talk to you about role-playing. Both of those are skills that you can find on the Smarter Parenting website. In fact, after this episode, jump over to the Smarter Parenting website. We're just at smarterparenting.com. You can see a video. They're roughly around five to seven minutes long, but they explain what the steps are to following instructions and to role-playing, and they include examples of parents using these skills 
with younger children and with older children. So we've made it so easy for you to understand it and to use it. Okay. So as I was working with this mother on this issue and um, making headway in uh, following instructions, I had to give her the steps. So there's only four steps to following instructions. Step number one, you need to be sure that you get your child's attention. This is especially important for children who have ADHD. You want to be sure that they see you, they know you, are communicating with them. Okay, so you need to clarify that. Step number two, you need to give a simple, clear, descriptive instruction. Now that sounds like an easy step, but listen closely to what I'm asking you to do in this step. You need to give a simple, clear, descriptive instruction. Now, simple is one thing. So when you say, go clean your room, that's too big. Okay, that's too big for a four or five-year-old. You want to break it down into something small, so simple. You want it to be clear. Okay, I want you to clean up. Clean up is vague. It's not clear. And you want to be descriptive. So saying something like, pick up your shirt and put it in the hamper is more descriptive than get your clothes off the floor. Now, for children who have ADHD or children who aren't neurodiverse in their learning, these are the things that really help clarify what it is that you expect from them. We tend to approach children assuming that they understand what we're saying. They don't. We need to be very, very clear about our expectations by giving simple, clear, descriptive instruction. Okay, step number two. That's going to take some time for parents to master because you may be saying something, they may be hearing something completely different. So you need to be very, very intentional in the instructions that you give. Now, step number three, the child says, okay, immediately and follows the instruction. Now, for parents who are saying, my child's not going to say, okay, and do what I say, they will. If you role play it with them, and if you start to ingrain this into their way of learning, We'll talk about that during role play when we talk about role playing. Step number four, the child returns to you and they report when the task is completed. Okay, four steps. Number one, get your child's attention. Number two, give simple, clear, descriptive instructions. Step number three, child says okay and immediately does the task. Step number four, the child returns to the parent and reports that they are finished. Four steps. Keep those in mind because we're going to delve deeper. Now, this is a simple, simple skill, right? Four steps. And yet it is so profound. There's just so much you can do and learn in this whole interaction that you have with your children when you are giving them an instruction and when you're engaging with them in learning the skill. Don't take for granted that this is four steps and it's just going to be quick and easy. No, this is an opportunity for you to also connect with your child and to communicate with your child on a whole deeper level than you usually do. Don't be fooled into thinking, oh, it looks easy or it's simple. It's not. It's complex and it requires you to really process and think things through but it's simple enough that you can do this in your home and you can do this immediately. This is something you can do today with your child. Let's talk about how we're going to approach following instructions with this mom and this young child. So I asked the mom, 
Give me an example of something you want your child to do. You want them to follow your instructions. She said, I want my child to clean his room. Pretty simple and something that a lot of parents ask their children to do. So not uncommon. So first we start off by uh, getting the child's attention. Step number one, we're going to call her young son, Will. And this mother is going to say his name. So the example would be Will. And she would wait until he made acknowledgement that he was paying attention to her through a look, turning his body, his face. But we need acknowledgement to be happening during this exchange. You can't just talk to a kid from behind his head and expect him to grasp what is happening. So we need the child to be able to demonstrate that they're paying attention. That's step number one. So will, and then with the mother, she needs to wait and be sure that he is acknowledging her. Okay? Both physically, he may do it verbally, but we need some type of connection during this exchange. So I told the mom to say his name and be sure that she's in close proximity to him. And I added some additional things that I thought would be helpful for her in order to be sure that this is happening in the right way. So I wanted her to be at eye level with him. I wanted her to be in front of him. And this is because she has a child with ADHD, so there's no distraction. And that he's aware when she's in front of him and communicating to him that she needs him to pay attention to her. She is the main focus visually as well as spatially. Okay, so get your attention. And these are recommendations I made for her, specifically for her child. Does it work for everybody? Again, this goes back to neurodiversity. In what ways can children learn best? Because we're approaching it as these are learning challenges. And so we need to customize it based on the way that children learn. She would do this. She would get down to eye level. She would be with him. She would look at him and she would say his name and be sure that he acknowledged in some way that she's communicating. Step one. Now, we've only gone through step one, but can you see just how deep this can go? Okay, so the step one is get your child's attention. I've now layered it with multiple ways that this can happen. Now let's move on to step number two. You want to give a simple, clear, descriptive instruction. The idea is mom wanted him to clean his room. So I had her say that, Will, I need you to go clean your room. And then we went back and we evaluated whether or not it met each of the criteria of step number two, which is giving a clear, simple instruction. Is it simple? Is it clear? And is it descriptive? So is that simple? Go clean your room. Not really, because cleaning your room could mean a lot of different things for a young child. Okay. I want you to think of it this way. When I was growing up with my own mom having us clean the house on Saturday mornings, that's what we did. We just did a deep clean. No matter how hard I cleaned, it was never as clean as my mom cleaning it. Like she just, she would come and check on something that I did and I would always miss something. There was always something that I could have done a little bit better. Now, that's not a discredit to her or to me, but she was very specific in the way that she wanted things done. And by using only words to say, I need you to go wipe down the walls, that wasn't descriptive enough to tell me exactly what the expectation was. So in this case, go clean your room, it's not simple. Now, is it clear? No, because we're not giving a time frame either, right? Go clean your room. It sounds like we mean now, but for a child who's operating on a different time system or 
may just be easily distracted, it's not very clear when this needs to be done or how it needs to be done. And then it needs to be descriptive. Cleaning your room is too broad. Again, we're dealing with children who have a different way of learning or processing information. So we want to customize it. We want to make it as easy as possible for them to follow through with the instructions that we're giving them. So give a simple, clear, descriptive instruction. What we did during this call is we broke it down. What makes it simple? Okay, let's break down clean the room to just one task in the room that they need to do. One task, that's it. And then let's explain it more clearly what exactly is expected. And then you want to be able to be descriptive. So in step number two, we've gone from clean the room and we started to whittle it down. I need you to go and, you know, put your toys away. Too broad. Too broad again. I said, let's get even more specific. Okay, I need you to pick up your shirt from off the floor. And I said, okay, that's great. We're getting more specific here, right? We're getting, we're doing something that's simple and clear and descriptive. However, there are multiple shirts on the floor. So which one are you talking about? Now, we ended up going with a yellow shirt. So... Here's the instruction. Will, I need you to go pick up the yellow shirt that is on the floor by your desk. I need you to pick it up and put it in the hamper. So that's simple, that's clear, and that's descriptive. That's something he can do right now, something he's able to recognize exactly what the expectation was, and something that the parent can explain. Like you can say, hey, you did that, or no, you didn't do that. And it would make sense because it's an either or. You're actually taking the ambiguity out of the instruction and you're making it so specific to the behavior. Now, would I do this with every child? Probably initially I would. I would start off this way and help them understand that I am giving some clear expectations. Now, once that clear expectation is there, Will just has to walk in his room, look for the yellow shirt that's by his desk, pick it up, and put it in the hamper. That's it. That's it. There's only one hamper in his room. There's only one yellow shirt on the floor, and it's by his desk. Very, very specific. Simple, clear. Now, here's where the child says, okay, and they go do it immediately. This is something that has to be practiced. You have to practice this during role play in order for them to grasp how important it is to do it at the moment. And then after the task is done, they're going to come back and report. Okay. So the child would say, okay, Will would pick up the yellow shirt in his room by his desk, put it in the hamper. Then he would come back immediately to his mother and say, okay, I am finished. I have put the yellow shirt inside the hamper. Now we have broken this down into small, small, consumable bits for Will, because this is the best way to get Will to understand what he needs to do, the time frame he needs to do it, and how to do it. This is the concept of following instructions. What it would sound like is, if I was Will's mother, I would say, Will, and again, I would be sure that there's acknowledgement that communication is happening between us, and I would give the clear, simple instruction, Will. You need to go pick up the yellow shirt that's on the floor in your room by your desk and put it inside the hamper now. Will would say, okay, here we go do it. He'd come back. 
I finished putting my yellow shirt in the hamper, and then I would praise him. Great job. Great job. Now, step number three, the child says okay, and they do it immediately. This is where the practicing comes in, and this is where it connects with neurodiversity. When you practice and role-play something with children, when you have them act it out, even though you are practicing it, what it does is it makes connections in the brain that aren't already there. They make this whole engagement familiar. It makes your interaction with them something of a comfort because they're like, hey, wait, I've done this before. I recognize what we're doing. I know what I need to do in this instance. Role-playing is so powerful, especially if you're approaching issues with neurodiversity. And in fact, you'll probably start seeing more of this inclusive learning style as neurodiversity continues to become more prevalent in the discussion on how do we help children learn and function in the world around us. The recommendation, I told this mother, you need to practice this with your child. I want you to stay focused on the one task only. Because what we are doing is it's not about the task itself. It's about building those pathways in his mind that this engagement is different and this requires him to do something very specific. As he masters doing the one task of picking up the shirt and putting it in the laundry pile, then we start diversifying and making it bigger. But we need him to be able to get the basics first. We're establishing a baseline for him to work off of. And once that baseline is there, once he knows how to follow instructions, we can actually expand it to giving bigger instructions, more complex instructions, because he'll fall back on what he knows. We all fall back to what we know. So role-playing will be really important. I did emphasize in the role-playing skill that mom would have to show him how to do it first. So she would have him play the role of the parent and ask her to go pick up the yellow shirt by the desk and put it in the hamper and do that over and over. And this means removing the shirt from the hamper and putting it back in place and then practicing it over and over and over again. And again, we are building muscle memory in the brain. As the child is able to do this more efficiently and effectively, this is going to become the way that they engage when you give an instruction that's more complex down the road. So again, this is where we're establishing a new way of learning for your child and a new way for you as a parent to engage with your child in a meaningful way. So when you role play at a time when things are calm, when your child is able to follow through and, and do this, you're going to find that this will become the default. This is what they're going to fall back on when they are struggling. And if you can provide a default or backup behavior, you're going to find that children will find comfort in going back to what's familiar. So with this mom, we practiced it during the Zoom call. We talked about it. We explored it. I had her focus on the one task only, meaning she was going to role play putting the yellow shirt in the hamper multiple times, the exact same thing, multiple times having him come back and report as soon as the task is done. Now, there is an engagement happening when you do following instructions, which is beautiful. 
Because not only are you giving an instruction, you are holding out the expectation that your child is going to come back and tell you that they are finished, that they have done the task. And that leaves the burden on them to do the task and then come back and report to you that it's finished. That also makes it possible for you to not have to go back and double check everything or, you know, go look at everything. Because if he doesn't come back and report, you know the task is not done. And then you can give the instruction again. I counsel this mom to have patience while she's working through this process and to be able to be open to communication from her child. Again, all the skills, that's what works. These are things that work. Neurodiversity may be a a newer term that's popping up, but the skills that we use here from the teaching family model, they incorporate multiple learning styles. I want you to see how powerful using a skill can be because even with following instructions, you notice we're getting the child's attention. We're close to them. Okay, There is a sense there of, hey, closeness and intimacy while I give you an instruction, communicating where it's audio. There's visual because the parent is doing it first. There's tactile because you're actually picking up the shirt and putting it away. And there's repetition which is, as we know, we become what we practice. So we start practicing these things over and over again. This is a multi-senses approach to learning. And so you'll see skills like this start to become the norm with children who are struggling in their learning. And especially when the the term neurodiversity pops up, you're going to hear that term pop up eventually. If you have a young child who's growing up and doing IEPs or needs some accommodations in school, you may hear this terminology, or you may be the one to bring it up. But just know that the skills that we have in Smarter Parenting are available for you to use. Jump over to the Smarter Parenting website to access those. They're there for free. We've made them there for you so you can watch these videos. And in fact, my recommendation is that you watch them and you understand them well enough that you can show them to your child, they can see what it looks like, then you can practice it together. So you watch it first, absorb the content, understand it in case questions come up, and then watch the skills with your own child and work through it, role play it, practice it, and work through all of the issues involved with following instructions. Now, we start off with something as simple as picking up the yellow shirt What that will eventually translate to over time is obedience to instruction. And as you continually add and make more sophisticated requests, instructions for your child to follow, you're going to find that they're going to be able to do it more easily in the long run. So we're laying the foundation for success by establishing this as a way to engage and interact with your child. It's fantastic, people. I've seen it work with so many children over the course of my professional career and my own personal career. This is a skill that I use with my own daughter when she was very young. And in fact, it's so normal now if I give her an instruction like feed the dog or take the dog out, she actually does that. And unconsciously, she'll come back and report that it's done. And it's always done immediately. Largely because we laid a foundation and this is what following instructions looks like. So 
be patient with yourself as you begin. We're starting to train minds and train your child to understand these concepts and incorporate them into their lives and into your interactions with each other. Now, if you're working with a child that's extremely difficult and that you have a hard time giving an instruction to, again, I would highly suggest you choose something very simple. You need to demonstrate how to do it first. Be sure that you're answering all the questions in step number two, which is give something that's simple, clear, and descriptive as far as the instruction goes. And you'll need to role play it. You'll need to role play it multiple times. You may need to do it multiple times throughout the day when your child is calm. And it could sound something like, hey, we we practiced this last night. I I just want to go over it again just to be sure. I'm going to do it first. Tell me if I'm doing it right. And then have your child play the role of the parent, giving you a small, simple instruction. So you do it, and then you go back and report. And so your child can see it, because we can mimic what we see. After your child sees it, then say, okay, we're going to switch it. Now I'm going to ask you to do the exact same thing. Let's see if you can do it exactly the way that I did it. And you can practice it and continually practice it. So you may do this over the course of a couple of days until your child really grasps it. I personally like the idea of neurodiversity. I think it can be confusing for a lot of parents, but again, what we're doing is we're focused on the challenges of the way your child learns and that what your child is experiencing with ADHD is just a different way of processing information. So we we can incorporate skills in order to help adjust for those different learning styles. All right. So... I want you to practice that. Practice following instructions with your child, and you'll see a huge difference happening. Hey, that's it for me, and I will see you again next week. All right, bye.